Hello and welcome to the Oreos in the Know podcast featuring Avon Community School Corporation Superintendent Dr. Scott Windham. Twice a month, Dr. Windham has a conversation with students, educators, district leaders, and some other special guests who are in the know, so you can be in the know too. So pull up a chair and listen in, and thank you for joining us on the Orioles in the Know. Hello and welcome to episode number 10 of Orioles in the Know a podcast from the Avon Community School Corporation. I'm Scott Wyndham, the proud superintendent of Avon Schools, and we are using these podcasts as a way to keep our parents, staff, and community tuned in to all the great things that are happening in Avon Schools. And I'm really pleased today to be joined by Officer Terrence Smith. And uh, Terrence is one of our school resource officers. However, we're really not going to talk much about traditional school resource officer roles in school safety today because Terrence has been playing a key role in our school district this year to provide training and support as we seek to grow as a staff. Um, specifically in the area of cultural competence. So I really appreciate all Terrence has done as a new SRO to the school district, but also all that he's done in leading our efforts this year in cultural competence. So Terrence, welcome. Thank you very much. So you came to us um, probably about this time last year, we were interviewing you. Um, You came to us with some great experience in um, training police officers in the area of cultural competence. Can you talk about your experience providing training in the area of cultural competence to other police officers? Sure. Well, I uh, started teaching uh, to police officers in about 2008. Uh, I was a new training instructor at the Marion County Sheriff's Department Training Academy. Um, I really didn't have a topic that I was assigned to teach. And so they thought it'd be a good idea for me to take over the cultural diversity or cultural competence class. Uh, I had no information whatsoever. I didn't know which direction to go in. And so I just started gathering as much information as I possibly could to put together. Uh, They wanted a four hour class. And I had never, wow. never taught that long. I <laughs> didn't know <laughs> so if I could. Four even... hours is a long time when you have to <laughs> yes. plan. Yeah. Especially talking about a subject that, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about or pe- makes people uncomfortable. Um, so I gathered as much information as I possibly could. And what I found was, is that it didn't go so well the first couple of times uh, because I was just teaching uh, information. Uh, I wasn't relating to the police officers. And so I found that I needed to... Uh, make it relatable for them using real life scenarios from things that they have actually seen on the street. And so that made it a lot easier and it actually started to make it a little bit more fun. Mm -hmm. So this year, of course, we've been doing some training efforts and then COVID added a nice twist of how we provide training in all the limitations that exist. So uh, what we've done this year with your help is a couple of online trainings that our staff have been able to watch. And then on our e-learning day in November, we did a training that was some in person and some virtual. So of course, taking all those things into account and that this is kind of a different year for everybody. What have you found to be the biggest difference in providing this kind of training? Like you said, it, it can be a challenging topic. What have you seen to be the difference in providing training in an educational setting versus what you've done as a police officer? Well, I think getting to know your audience and knowing your audience up front kind of dictates what direction you will go in. Uh, For me, the information is pretty much all of the same. You have to deliver your material in a way that it relates to that audience. And so uh, speaking with police officers is like speaking with old friends. 
And so we all have similar experiences. We've all had some experiences that were dangerous, um, some experiences that were uplifting where we got a chance to help people and things like that. And so we all, it was easy for me to deliver that information to them. Uh, it was quite challenging to deliver that information to educators mm-hmm. um, because there are a lot of whys. Um, why this? Why are we doing this? Uh, why is this important to us? And so I had to keep those things in mind when creating that material and, and, and figuring out a way to deliver that material so that it would be useful to them. And even within the educational realm, we're all at different places and we all have different backgrounds and experiences, which adds a whole nother layer of complexity to it that I'm (laughs) sure is the case with police officers too. Absolutely. So we started our own school-based police department at the same time that other communities were defunding police departments or some school districts were changing how they approached police in the school districts. And on top of that, we have asked you, a police officer, to help lead our cultural competence training and some some really tough conversations about racial issues and bias in our schools. So how, how do you navigate those conversations? Um, and specifically at our secondary schools, how do you how do you navigate that you are a police officer who is helping us get better in cultural competence with everything that's going on around the country right now? I would say that I'm, I'm constantly on the lookout uh, for the opportunity to engage others in conversation about implicit bias. Um, I don't believe that the conversations have to be tough. Um, they can actually be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found at the high school especially is that teachers are already engaging their students about this topic uh, and some of the material that they're teaching, some of the, some of the books that they're reading. And so they've asked us to come in and read some of the books that the students are reading and come in and talk to the students about them. And so that actually has been pretty easy and actually opened the door for the students to ask other questions about law enforcement that they really wanted to know. Uh, And one of the things that I tell the students or talk to them about is that I have a unique perspective about these issues because number one, I'm a black male. Uh, Number two, I'm a police officer. And number three, I'm a veteran. And so I kind of open the door for them to ask me whatever they want to ask me. And I find myself talking about a wide range of subjects that that revolve around implicit bias that I I wasn't expecting to. So Mm. it's actually been quite enjoyable. And I'm, I'm pretty surprised that the students have some of the views that they do. And um, they're all positive, uh, much more positive than people from my, mine or your generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's very interesting to see uh, how they see the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things I think about one of the first times uh, we interacted when you started here was over the summer when we had a group of black students and their families yes. come in and talk with us. It was shortly after things had really gotten tense around the country with George Floyd and, and some of those types of things. Yes. And so we decided we just needed to have a conversation with some of our families about starting a police department, <laughs> the tough conversations that are, are being had. And what struck me was students, when they're given a chance to talk, will be very open about their feelings, how they feel when they're at school, what they think we should be doing better. I was really encouraged at the dialogue that we had that day in July, where we were trying to think about how do we grow as a district and how do we have student and parent voices helping us to do that. Absolutely. And and even as far as navigating those kind of tough conversations, uh, I think that it's much easier to hear what somebody with an opposing view is saying mm. uh, when they approach the subject with love. Mm-hmm. Um, so so often we point fingers at each other and it's, when somebody starts doing that, it makes it hard to hear what they're saying. Sure. And so uh, I, we've been blessed to have those conversations here in Avon like that. One of the things I have heard, uh, heard a couple of years ago, and I feel like I use it a lot, is assume positive intent. Yes. So if you approach conversations by assuming positive intent, 
it definitely changes your outlook and how you tackle some of these conversations. Absolutely. So we have been talking as a district this year about implicit bias. And, and you know, that might be a new term to some of our community that might be uh, listening to this, but you've really helped define that t- term for us and distinguish what we mean when we say implicit bias and what we mean when we say racism. And sometimes those terms get thrown around as if they're the same thing, right. but you've really helped us to understand that those are not the same things. Can you talk about that distinction a little bit? Absolutely. Um, Implicit bias is definitely not not limited to race. We know it's multifaceted. It can include many other like subcultures or subgroups. In my opinion, they're they're kind of like the sum of our life experiences, uh, kind of what we've been exposed to or what we haven't been exposed to. Um, it could include our upbringing, even our our education. They're all factors that I believe contribute heavily to how we see the world. And implicit biases, I think, are born out of our, our past experiences. And so, uh, the way that you grew up, the things that you're exposed to, the things that you weren't, uh, all of those make up you know. Uh, our implicit mindset and um, how we view the world without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, it's kind of beyond our control. That's totally different from racism or, or issues of race where it may be explicit or things that you do purposely. Mm-hmm. Uh, implicit bias could be judging someone based off of how they look based on maybe a negative experience you've, you've had with somebody who looked that way mm-hmm. uh, or, or who acted that way. And, and so, and police officers do it all the time. And that's why it's such a, an important topic right now, especially in, in our, in our field and training our, our new officers. But I think it also applies to our, our teachers and our educators as well. Well, and I think just like you saying, police officers do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Teachers do that all the time. Bus drivers do that all the time. We all do it all the time because we're making judgments about people Right. Everywhere we go. And so I think what I have learned from you this year is we are making judgments about kids walking in our classroom. Right. It it might be the clothes that they're wearing. It might be that I see that they have a disability. It doesn't, like you said, it's not limited to race, but we're making some preconceived judgment calls in our mind about what you are capable of, what I think you are capable of. And so I think what you've really challenged us as a district is to, to be aware of those things, because the only way we can address it is if we have that reflection of ourselves to know, okay, I, I, that thought just popped in my head, but I need to be more aware of that and not let that cloud the expectations that I have for students. Absolutely. I was struck in, in the training that we recorded uh, for staff that, that is going to be pushed out this week. You know, even some of the data that's out there on our perceptions of students and how that drives their academic achievement. And so as teachers, if I have a perception about a student and maybe I lower my expectations because of that preconceived judgment, that has an impact on their academic performance. And so Absolutely. those are the kind of things we just have to be aware of as bus drivers, as food service workers, as custodians that are interacting with kids all day long. You've done a great job of helping me grow in that area um, over the course of the, the school year. So when you think about all the different groups of employees that we have in Avon schools and, and even parents or community members, what do you think we can be doing to be more responsive and to, to be more reflective about how those implicit biases might be impacting our work? I think we can all be a little bit more deliberate about educating ourselves. I actually spoke to uh, the Marion County Sheriff's Department Supervisor School yesterday about this same topic, and I kind of joked with them a little bit about how we have the information highway in the palm of our hands every single day. Um, but we use it for things like TikTok and (laughs) Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. And it's, it's fun. But if you really want to know more about something, 
um, we have access to it. And so we talked about some of the things that uh, that I was taught growing up about redlining and maybe Jim Crow laws or black codes or what those things meant. And I was quite surprised to find out that there are a lot of people that just don't know what those things are because that has not been uh, their experience by no fault of their own. It just hasn't been their experience. And so I said, well, let's look it up. Let's find out what they are. And let's find out if any of those things are still affecting people right now. And so as educators, uh, I would think that we would want to know more about the kids that we're teaching, the kids that we're talking to, being able to uh, pass that information along to our students. Well, and I think part of the conversations that we have had over the course of the school year have made people uncomfortable. And and one of the things I've said is some of the conversations have made me uncomfortable. And I think that's okay that sure. some of this is us understanding where we're coming from. And, and there were things that you and I talked about that you said something. And I said, I've never heard that in my entire life. Right. And, you know, we yeah. just had a, a very different background and so, you shared something that I had never heard. And so it, it, if nothing else, I think the work that we've done this year has helped some of those conversations be happening in our schools where people are talking about things that, or and experiences that we each bring to our jobs that maybe we never have taken the time to talk about before. Absolutely. Um, and it, and it comes down to experiences. Although I may not have experienced certain things. Sometimes when we talk about these types of issues, we talk about them like they are, uh, five or six generations ago. Mm-hmm. And so I use my father as an example. He was a Vietnam veteran and came back to this country only to not enjoy the same rights as some other Americans, or maybe wouldn't, wasn't able to ride the bus where he wanted or eat in certain restaurants. And we're not talking about my grandfather or my great, great grandfather, or sure. my dad. And so uh, that's been my American experience. It might be different than somebody else's American experience. And so being able to talk about those things and have actually just be heard for me, that's enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, but I, at the same time, want to learn about someone else's American experience and, and understanding that it's okay for those to be different. So much of it is you can't see that kind of growth over social media. Right. <laughs> and it, you just can't. it is the face to face conversations. Right. And I, and I think about so much of the vitriol that exists in our right. country right now is because I think people are trying to tackle these really tough things right. through a tweet or a Facebook post. And, and then it just devolves at, without really taking the time to have conversations and get to know people. And, and I think that's one of the outcomes of, of, our work this year is I think we've given people a forum f- through which they can have some of these conversations with their colleagues that maybe we've just never done before and are far more productive than putting something on chatter or, you know, those, those <laughs> right. kinds of, um, options. So ultimately we know, um, that our priority is we want students and we want our staff to know that school is a safe place for them. So when you think about your first year in Avon as a school resource officer, and then your work that you've been helping us uh, lead in this area, what are some of the positive things that you've seen this year that you feel like, um, show that our work has led to some positive outcomes for kids? Well, I think you just mentioned it, is that um, providing forums for our students to be able to speak up and speak out about things that affect them or that are important to them. And, and that's one of the, the big things that I've seen here while I've been in Avon. It's it's the teachers, it's the, the counselors, the administrators. Uh, they're the ones that are providing these forums. And like I said before, I've had an opportunity to go into some classrooms and discuss things about uh, these issues uh, that were in their reading material. It's already being done. I'm so impressed with what I've heard from the students and the conversations that they have and the way that they see the world. It's a little bit different than the way I see the world. And actually, 
I've ended up learning from them, just having the opportunity to talk to them. So I think seeing that teachers are providing that form for kids to be able to say what they need to say and speak up about what they need to be able to speak up about. Uh, I mean, these things are in national news and uh, the kids are seeing it just like we're seeing it. And it appears to me that they want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we as parents and we as teachers and administrators and police officers, if we cut them off, then they'll never get a chance to express how they truly feel about these things. But here I've seen those forms are created and, and the kids are actually doing pretty well with it. Going back a year, year and a half when we were talking about Avon schools starting our police department, Department. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that was a big decision for us. But part of what I see now is that our kids and you're primarily at the elementary level at yes. this point. I mean, you've been a little bit of everywhere, right. but right now you're primarily at the elementary level, correct? Right. Yes. And, you know, I remember when when I talked with you shortly after you transitioned from the high school to the elementary, mm-hmm. I said, hey, how's it going? And you said, I walk into an elementary classroom and it's like I'm a superhero. And I, that <laughs> right. has stuck with me. And, and that our elementary kids are having a positive experience with an officer and you are establishing relationships with kids at a young age where you're right, they're seeing on the news that police officers are bad or, you know, all, all the different things that might be in, in, in the media or that are being talked about. And yet they're getting a positive experience with a police officer that might change the whole trajectory of their lives. And, and I think that's so powerful, and let alone that they get to see that you're a black police officer. <laughs> yes. And there are probably young men and young women in our schools who have never had an encounter with a black police officer. And, you know, we might, we might be uh, growing the next generation of police officers because they have such a positive interaction with you. I've been attending the IMP Leadership Academy and the instructor asked me last week uh, who my heroes were. And I thought about it for a second. And when I was a kid, I had a paper route in my neighborhood. I think I started when I was like nine and I had that paper route until I was like 17 when I left for college. And um, there was a a state trooper in my neighborhood. And uh, back then, officers Uh, they got ready out of their trunks. And so he would come out with his uniform pants on and uh, he would put his vest and his duty belt and everything on while he was at his car. And if I was out riding around on my bike, uh, I would just stop and talk to him. His name was Rodney. I never knew what his last name was. I just always called him Trooper Rodney. (laughs) Well, um, my papers were delivered at five in the morning and there was a village pantry uh, not too far away from uh, where we delivered papers from. And so I would hurry up and get on my bike and I would speed through the neighborhood and throw papers all over the place. And then I would rush up to the village pantry so that I could play this, this video game called Defender. Uh, and then I would uh, spend my paper route money on candy and take that, that candy to school. And then I would uh, do an upcharge and <laughs> charge the kids double what I, because you couldn't get it at school and the vending machines weren't available Entrepreneur at a young age. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it was funny. It was while I was playing video games, I would always feel this tap on my shoulder because uh, Trooper Rodney was a night shifter. And he would say, and you know your parents don't know you're up here and you, you shouldn't be up here playing video games at five in the morning. Um, but he was always good to me. He always talked to me whenever I pulled up to his house on my bike and tried to talk to him. He always talked to me and entertained me and he didn't have to. And, um, you know, 40 years later, I didn't realize that I wanted to be like him. And now I'm looking back at that and I think I maybe am like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was one of my heroes growing up was Trooper Rodney. What a great story because Rodney probably has no idea (laughs) that he had such an impact on you. And, you know, I think those are the things that whether you're a bus driver or a police officer or a cafeteria worker or a teacher or an instructional assistant, we can all have those moments where we change the trajectory of a 
young person's life. And then 40 years from now, they look back and go, yeah, <laughs> Officer Smith, that's why I became a police officer. Absolutely. Officer Smith is why I, I, I do the things that I do now. What, what a great story. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. So I, I appreciate all that, that you have done this year in your first year in Avon <laughs> schools. You've, you've had a tremendous impact both as an officer, but then also helping us in, in this area. So I just really appreciate you being here and I appreciate all that you've done this year. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And with that, we will conclude and uh, thank you. And we will uh, share more information in our next podcast. And you've been listening to Orioles in the Know featuring Avon School Superintendent, Dr. Scott Windham. To stay in the know, be sure to follow Dr. Scott Windham at Avon Souped. That's at A-V-O-N-S-U-P-T or Avon Schools at Avon Tweets on Twitter or like Avon Schools on Facebook. You can always visit the corporation website at avon-schools.org or call the central office at 317-544-6000. That's 317-544-6000. Finally, be sure to subscribe to Orioles in the Know on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. (laughs) 